when you put money into a stock or into an option, don't think about how much money you could potentially make. Think about how you're going to manage and mitigate the risk. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Brian Knoll. Brian is joining us from Denver, Colorado. He has 40 years of real estate investing experience and is either a GP or LP in 12 buildings that contain over 3,000 doors. Brian has also flipped over 30 properties. Brian, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing great, especially now that England is in the semifinals of the Euros. All right. Great to hear. Thank you for joining us. Before we get started, Brian, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Well, I'm from London, England. I originally bought my first house when I was 19, 20 minutes outside of London. Quickly realized after two years when it doubled in value that I made more in real estate than I did for my actual career. Came to the U.S. in 1985 and started acquiring properties. At the time I lived in Los Angeles, began acquiring properties out of state in Texas, Houston, Phoenix. And I didn't realize at the time, but what it did is it kind of set me up to where I got a lot of confidence in being able to invest and manage in property out of state. And then fast forward years later, those properties hadn't really gone up much in value. So I liquidated them all, put the money in the stock market. And then in 2000, lost everything but I hadn't lost my faith in real estate. The difference was I needed to change my uh, focus a little bit. And instead of trying to go after appreciation, I went after cash flow. And once I did that, that changed the game for me. So I began acquiring properties, threw off the most amount of cash flow possible, used that extra, extra cash flow to pay down the mortgage as fast as possible to where I had eight properties I owned free and clear And then one day when I was looking at my spreadsheet and I realized how much money I was spending in HOA fees, I made the decision that I was going to sell all those properties and buy a small building. But I didn't know anything about buying multifamily buildings. And what I did know was I couldn't make the numbers work in Denver or Colorado Springs or Fort Collins because the cap rates had gotten too low. So I jumped on LoopNet and started looking in Dallas and Houston and Kansas and very quickly discovered that I could make the numbers work. So then I ran across another gentleman who is a large syndicator and joined his program and quickly got educated on how to evaluate and underwrite deals, began investing as a limited partner initially, and I've invested in several deals with Joe, and he's awesome. I love Joe Fearless, but I also decided I wanted to be a GP as well, and we closed our first property, which is a Class B 280-unit building in Houston in February this year. And I'm pleased to say it's doing extremely well. In fact, we told our investors that we anticipated doing distributions in October of this year. And we're actually going to start distributing this month in July. So we're one quarter ahead of schedule. So it's going really well. And now I'm currently underwriting more buildings and hoping to get another one under contract by August or September at the latest. 
Well, Brian, there's a lot to talk about and congratulations on that win with your latest deal. The difference between being a passive investor and a GP in your definition is what? Work. (laughs) If you're a GP, you've got to be willing to do a lot more work. If you're an LP, there's work on the front end to evaluate the property, the investment itself and the team that you're investing with. But once that investment has been made, you pretty much walk away and don't do anything and you just get your distributions coming through every month or every quarter. As a GP, you're constantly in communication with the other sponsors and with your investors that have invested with you. There's a transition period when you've acquired the property to get the property stabilized and maybe even transition over to a different property management company. So the difference to answer your question, Osh, is an LP, you can retire. A GP, you really have a second job. (laughs) Brian, on this latest deal, how many other GPs are there? On that particular deal, there are seven GPs. There was four initially, and then we had to bring in three more to get the deal closed. Why did you have to bring in more? Is it just uh, additional down payments or signatories on the loan? Capital raise was 10 and a half million and we'd got to seven and we were kind of struggling a little bit to hit that capital raise. We had one big investor for a couple of million that sort of backed out at the last minute and we'd already extended the close date twice with the seller. So he wasn't willing to give us another extension. So that really led us with no other option other than to bring in a couple more GPs. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. How many investors total are there for that $10.5 million raise? Ooh, that's a good question. I just know how many investors I brought in in total. I honestly couldn't tell you. If I had to guess, I'd say it's probably in the 70, 80 range. 
Okay. And who found this deal? One of my lead sponsors. Okay. And this is your first time that you've been on the GP side of things? Correct. And I'm assuming you would do it again, or was it too hair-raising of an experience? No, I would do it again, and I am. There's a lot of people I know that have aspirations to do many of them, five, eight, 10, 15. I'm not at that point because I'm at a different stage of my life. I'm trying to retire, and I learned a lot through this first experience, so I want to apply that experience and knowledge to the second deal. So I'd say I've probably got two more deals that I would like to get done, and then that point i'll probably be finished until those deals go full cycle and then i may do another one again but my goal is to just do two more in the next uh, six to 12 months now that you've been on the gp side of things would you go back to being a passive investor as well i absolutely would in fact Osh, i constantly struggle every day i wake up and i ask myself do i really want to do this because it is again a lot of work and like having another job and i constantly go back and forth I could just give the money to Joe and let those distribution checks come in every month and spend more time on the golf course. Or I could go in as another GP and roll my sleeves up and do more work. And to be perfectly honest, it can be a little bit stressful too. There are times when it gets stressful because you've got deadlines to meet. You've got due diligence to complete. You've got attorney PPM documents you've got to get done. So not only is it a lot of work, but it can be a lot of stress. And reach my stage of life. I'm looking for less stress, not more. <laughs> yeah, so it's not as easy as everyone makes it seem to be, is it? No, it certainly is not. What are the biggest challenges? You have a lot of GPs on this deal. Are you intimate friends with these other GPs or are they acquaintances, business partners? I'd say one of them in particular I was an intimate friend with and I knew of the other folks at the beginning. But you know, when you go through this, you quickly become very intimate, right? So I'd say I'm intimate with all of them now, some a little bit more than others, right? It's like anything, when you start hanging out with a bunch of people, you kind of gravitate towards those folks that you just click with. So in the beginning, we would have daily calls and then the daily calls would go to three times a week and then twice a week and then once a week to now where it's once a month. Is there an organizational hierarchy with decision-making amongst the GPs? There is. The lead sponsors who initially found the deal, brokered the deal, and lined up the lender, have the primary say-so in the deal, if you will, and attend most of the meetings with the property management company and then with the lender. And in this particular deal, we did end up having to bring in a preferred equity investor so they communicate with those folks as well. And what is that structure on a high level? Well, similar to Joe's, it's a preferred class A and class B. So the capital stack looks a little bit different. The preferred investors get a slightly higher rate of return, but they don't get any equity on the back end when we sell the property. Got it. So knowing what you know now, would you recommend a large set of GPs for future deals or would you rather keep it small? I'd rather keep it small, but again, it depends on the size of the deal, right? So the one we did was 280 units and therefore the capital raise was higher. The next deal I do, I want to keep it 140 units or below. So the capital raise is more in the five, six million range because I think it's much easier to pull that off and we can do it with a smaller group of sponsors. My hope is that we could do it with no more than four sponsors. Got it. And Brian, can we dive into this deal a little bit? The high level yep. numbers. You raised 10.5 million. What was the total purchase price? 26.1 million. 
What's your hold period on this? Three to five years. It appraised for a million more than we paid for it. We got it at 97,000 a door. One of our GPs also acquired another building a quarter of a mile down the street for $105,000 a door. So that made us feel really, really good about the investment that we made. And it's our hope that within two to three years, we'll be able to do a cash out refi, buy out that preferred equity partner and give other investors the option if they want to get bought out, they can. But if they want to stay in the deal, then obviously their percentage ownership is going to increase substantially because the preferred equity investor would be you know, bought out at that point. And when you do a cash out refi, do your investors have the option of receiving the cash or can they reinvest they, it? Right now, they can either stay in the deal or they can be bought out. Okay. Is there a value add proposition for this property? Does it need to be there renovated? Is. Yep, there is. Like a lot of syndicators, we are upgrading some of the units. There was $4 million in capital improvements made prior to us acquiring it. So I would say it's not a heavy lift. We're putting washer and dryers in a large number of units. We've put in covered parking. We've upgraded some of the facilities like the swimming pool, and we've put LED lighting all around the building to provide more security. So, yeah, we definitely implement some value add. What's the targeted return for investors, the IRR? It's between 70 and 100%. Over the five-year period? Correct. Okay. You're jaded on buying for appreciation. Well, in the single family market, just because when I first came to this country, I was at a seminar and heard a real estate guru say that the mean average across the country for appreciation was the properties would value every 7.8 years. And I had held some single family homes in Houston, Dallas for 10 years, and they hadn't gone up one penny in value. So in real estate, like a lot of investments, fluctuates, it can go up and it can go down. But I just learned that it's better to focus on cash flow than try to get appreciation because appreciation may or may not happen. You just don't know. Would you look at any other asset class besides multifamily right now or in the future? Not if I'm going to be a sponsor. I would consider it as a passive investor. I mean, I've looked at some investments in storage units. I know some people doing mobile home parks. Those produce great rates of return. I know some folks that go after distressed assets that require a heavy lift. Those make me a little bit nervous because just like flipping houses, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. And I'm at a stage in my life where I can't really afford to lose my capital. So capital preservation is very important to me. If I was 20 years younger, I might be inclined to take a little bit more risk. But right now, that's not really an option for me. So Brian, a two-part question. What was your biggest lesson learned with interacting with co-sponsors on this deal, as well as interacting with investors? Well, a couple of things. One, I think it really behooves sponsors to get a sponsorship agreement in place from the very beginning. And we didn't do that. So we kind of had more of a gentleman's agreement in roles and responsibilities and sponsorship splits. And it all kind of worked out in the end. But if I were to do it again, I think it's a better business practice if you have that all defined and written down up front. So there's no disagreements three months later when you close on the building. In terms of the investors, one thing that is really important to me is regular communication. And there have been times when 
maybe some of the sponsors feel like there's no need to communicate because we haven't really got that much news. But I think if too much time passes, investors naturally get a little bit nervous. So I always believe in communicating, even if you don't have much to say other than how are things going, the property's still performing well, we're attaining our goals, we hope to have more information next month. So to me, communication is vital. That is critical. If you don't set the narrative, it's your investor's imagination that sets the narrative. Exactly. Well said, Osh. I like that. And Brian, what happened with that large investor who was committed for multi-millions and backed out? Well, he had a small group of friends. It was 1.9 million. And one of his friends was coming in with 400,000. And I guess another opportunity came up where he decided to use his money for a different investment project. And because he wouldn't go in, the rest of the guys wouldn't go in. I think there were three or four guys, a small group, and they just all decided to kind of back away. You know, I hear that a lot. So how do you remediate that? It seems like syndicators don't want to take money too early. They kind of want to wait closer to the funding date. Mm -hmm. So what's a good solution for that? Because, you know, it's easy to get verbal commitments, but then when it comes time to wire the funds, it's a different story. I think there's a a couple of things I've learned through that. One of the things that Joe is doing, which is very smart, is he's created a fund. And I'm predicting you're going to see a lot more people do that because that was something that happened to me. I had a friend actually who saw that I had posted on Facebook some of the investments I made. He called me to go have lunch and shared with me that he had a million dollars sitting in the bank that he wanted to put to work. He didn't want to put it in the stock market because he was already over leveraged. So six months later, when I called him to invest with me, he had decided to buy some land and build a custom house and needed the money for that. So timing, when you're raising money, what I found is timing is very critical. Just because somebody has the money three months ago doesn't mean they're going to have it now. And I had numerous people when I reached out to them say, gosh, if you just called me two months earlier, I would have invested, but I put my money into another investment. So I think by having a fund, you can circumvent a lot of the timing issues around that. I think the other thing I would say is, again, just keep communicating with your investors. Let them know that you're actively underwriting properties, you're actively submitting LOIs, you're on the lookout for another investment, and you anticipate within the next 60, 90 days having a property under contract. And when you do, they'll be the first ones to know about it. I love that. You mentioned communicating with investors, but really... It's communicating with investors before you strike the deal. Oh, yes. Yeah, Interesting. Sure. Okay, very good. Brian, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Ooh, 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 ooh. I would say it's managing risk. So I've traded options and futures for many, many years and been very heavily involved in even day trading in the stock market. And one very experienced Wall Street trader told me one time, When you put money into a stock or into an option, don't think about how much money you could potentially make. Think about how you're going to manage and mitigate the risk. And I'd say the same thing holds true in multifamily investing as well. I don't think any limited partner or any passive investor wants to get a phone call and be told there's going to be a capital call, right? So I think when you're underwriting, you've got to do your stress testing and you've got to take a hard look and say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And if that scenario does play out, are we still going to be able to not lose money, protect our investors' money? Yeah, that's a great perspective. So knowing what you know about real estate now, do you still trade options? 
I do. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I can it's tell a, you, I've done much better in real estate than I have in <laughs> options in the stock market. <laughs> awesome. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors. I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about Rent Ready because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. Rent Ready is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With Rent Ready, you're able to collect rent online and get paid, find the perfect tenant with the built in screening and listing service, and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using Rent Ready's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through Rent Ready's new credit reporting feature. And the best part? Rent Ready is unlimited. That's right. All this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. Rent Ready is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And Rent Ready has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code bestever that's r e n t r e d i.com with the code b e s t e v e r at rentready.com to get rent ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants that's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy to read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, non sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant. So there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. Brian, are you ready for the lightning round? Am I ready for the lightning round? Yes, I'm not sure what the lightning round is, but you're sure. About, you're about to find out. Okay. So, Brian, what's the best ever book you recently read? Best ever book I recently read. I think the title of the book is One, and it's by Gary Keller, who started Keller Williams. And then right before that, it was the multi-millionaire real estate investor. And the funny thing was, when I read that book, he basically advises you do everything I'd done, but I'd done it the hard way. I did it through trial and error. If I'd had his book 20 years ago, I think my journey would have been a lot easier and could have got there a lot faster. Yeah, I think the book is called The One Thing. Brian, That's what's it. the best ever way you like to give back? I'm hoping to mentor other people. 
There's people that are obviously a lot more knowledgeable and experienced than me that I reach out to. And there's one guy, in fact, he's a co-sponsor on the deal with me. He started doing this in 2013 and I reached out to him many, many times and he was always very gracious and always very generous with his time, very patient and he taught me a lot and I want to pay that forward. So if I can help other people, I absolutely will. Fantastic. And Brian, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? A couple of ways. They can either email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at ascotequitypartners.com. So ascot, A-S-C-O-T, equitypartners.com. They can call me at 720-217-7656. And they can also check out the website, ascotequitypartners.com. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your advice with us. Coming from your first property in London at the age of 19, to losing everything in 2000 and learning some hard lessons about cash flow versus appreciation and dealing with other investors and sponsors. You've given us a lot of good advice. So thank you for sharing all of that. You're more than welcome. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us and have a best ever day. Thank you, Ash.